0: A very warm welcome to Series 5 of Industry Minds, sponsored by us, Tax for Actors. We take the stress out of self-employment. Stay tuned for an exclusive offer only for Industry Minds listeners. But for now, enjoy the show.
1: And welcome to Industry Minds, the podcast which discusses the importance of talking about mental health within the creative arts. My name is Kathy Reid and today I am joined by actor Sabrina Carter. Hello. Hello, how are you? Good, good. How are you? You're
2: very green today. I love it. I know I I, I seem to have matched my hat with my coat. That was not intentional, <laughs> but I always like to wear a hat. I don't know what it is. Yeah. You'll never see me generally without a hat. Yeah. <laughs> so when it gets to summer and it's warm, I hate it because I can't wear my bobbly hats. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a good point actually. When we were in Parrot Green rehearsals the the other week, you did like the entire rehearsal in an orange hat.
2: And I was like, Is she taking hat off? No, I don't think so. No, it just it covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> like the days where you cannot be bothered to wash your hair. or you just cool. I'm always cold as well
1: right. I'm always freezing mm-hmm. so at heart it just keeps me nice and snugly warm yeah. Absolutely. So, um, your credits include, so your first job was uh, first cover alpha in Wicked, right? Yes. Crazy first job, we'll get on to that. Uh, you've done stuff at the National Theatre, you've done plays in the Garrick and the Wyndhams, you've been in the 39 Steps, Oliver, Kiss Me Kate, Little Shop of Horrors, The Pirate Queen, Jonathan Pye's American Pie for the BBC, and you've been in a host of commercials and other film work. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? How many years have you been in the industry? So, I moved down here, I always get this wrong, I moved down here about 2000 2010,
2: I reckon. What we no, actually, maybe a bit before that 2009. So I've been down here about nine years,
1: nine, ten years. Yeah, great. Well, we will get on to your very varied career uh, during the interview, but let's start with a word association game. So, just the first thing (laughs) that comes into your head everyone freaks out about this, but I love it. I love it. TFL busy, Glasgow home, home, warmth, sausage rolls, yum, fitness. Boarding, dogs, cats, childcare, uh, tricky. Yeah. Do you, are you a cat person? Yes. I have a
2: cat called Jasper. Oh. My first and only ever pet that I've ever had. Yeah. So it didn't matter what pet I had. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to call it Jasper. Yeah. Um, but my husband got it for me just after we get married. Oh. I think that was the precursor to us having kids. If we didn't, and I always say if we didn't have the cat, we would never have had our daughter, because it brought out my maternal instinct. Yeah. I was always quite an ice queen and kind of was like, I don't want to get married. I don't want to have kids. And then I got married, and then I got a cat, and then I had kids. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So Sabrina, welcome to the podcast. Um, as we said, you're originally from Glasgow and you trained at what was the RSAMD, and a lot of people, Scottish people know as the RSAMD, but it's now the Royal Scottish Conservatoire? That's right. No, Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, Scotland, not to be confused with the Royal Shakespeare Company, which I always confuse it with. Um, but before we get onto that, uh, what kind of training was available for you back home? Did you start quite young with that kind of thing? No, um, I I lived in Durham actually
2: until I was about. Uh, sorry, I lived in Glasgow until I was about eleven, and then I moved to Durham um, from uh, eleven up until I was about twenty, and then did my first stint at university there. And at the time, drama school was only London. You only there was no such thing really. Um, certainly when I first went to university. So I applied for drama schools, like Mountview, I think. I say many, I only applied to one Mountview, and I didn't get in, and that's when I was about 19. And so I went to this university in in Newcastle, and it was more of an academic course. We had to do a dissertation. It wasn't a sort of a practical course. There was no real emphasis on acting, craft, training... Um, I was learning about practitioners which is fantastic but when I came out of it I didn't feel like I had had the sort of training that I needed to be an actor and consequently I decided very quickly this was not for me and just left it completely so I did three years at university I always say it was the most expensive way that, to buy friends because I met the best friends I have still to this day yeah. Um, but in terms of an actor I, did, I don't feel I learned a great deal um, and then I went and worked and for a utility company for three years three four years uh, Scottish Power and I loved it I had a fantastic time and maybe it was because I was in a coach role so I was kind of helping people with their their sort of customer service training and helping them with the operating systems so you're kind of acting a little bit I guess because yeah. you're role playing with people um, and then I sort of started doing um, some like sort of uh, youth theatre well not youth theatre but like amateur theatre up there um, and the standard was quite high, it was a lot of ex-performers and people who were training at the time and that's what gave me a little spark to come back and then I was already in Scotland at that point so I thought well I may as well apply to the RSCMD. And I, I think I applied to, I think I applied to Mountview again, and I think I got into both, And but my mum and dad at the time were very clear, they were like, if you get into a drama school, we cannot afford to help you, mm-hmm. so unless you get a bursary, you cannot go. So I got into the academy, and then I, they offered me a bursary, and I was like, I'll just stay at home, and yeah. I, can, I can get in. So the training, and the training was brilliant at the time, mm-hmm. I, I can't comment on it now, but when I went, it was fantastic in exactly. Glasgow.
1: I mean that is the last thing I expected to hear that you worked for Scottish Power. Yeah. Like the, of, of all the muggle jobs that people have said like going and working for that it is crazy. Um so when you went to Glasgow um what what year was that and in terms of mental health what kind of support was there when you were at drama school or was it something that wasn't really spoken about? Um I don't. If I'm being honest, I I th- I
2: don't think it was really there. I think when you were, when I was certainly training, if you were struggling with anything, it was a bit of just put up and shut up, get on with it. There's so many people that are want to be where you are in your position at the drama school, so it was never really something I felt that I could discuss really. And I and I'm lucky. I don't think at that point in my ca- career, as it were, or my training, I didn't really have a great deal of mental. I didn't have any massive traumas at that point. They came later, um, but certainly it wasn't on my radar. And certainly for the people who were struggling, like the international students, yeah. who were struggling, maybe homesick or whatever. I, I think that I don't know how much there was for them then. Yeah. Compared to nowadays.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So you obviously moved down to England, a lot. Later than, than you might have if you'd gone to train there. But it's still, um, as in like down to London, but it's still like quite a big move. I think even like moving to like Newcastle, Durham and stuff, it still feels a little bit similar. Yeah, uh-huh, fairly homely. But London is a completely different kettle of fish. How did you navigate that move down south after being north of the border and in northern England for such a long time? I think I was really lucky because I was coming
2: down for a job. Um, and I always I made that decision very quickly out of the academy that I well I couldn't afford to come to London it's so expensive comparatively to Scotland Um, so I was coming into a job so you're coming into a good frame of you're you're in a good frame of mind Um, and I had a partner down here we'd been seeing each other for about 8 months at that point so I I felt like I was in a good space um, and thankfully I had a lot of good people around me within the cast who were who were in the same boat it was their first sort of big job in town yeah. that was the big show they wanted to do so everything felt quite, quite safe and quite nice at that point yeah. so I did I the move was was fairly fairly smooth if I'm being honest I was so excited to be on the show and and actually being away from my mum and dad again because obviously I had been away at university moved away and then moved back with them which is hard yes. to then move away it was like freedom <laughs> um, I can spend my money however I choose yes. no one can say anything about it I can have pizza every night sweet um, so it was yeah it was a fairly smooth transition
1: to yeah. be honest Yeah. so Getting on to mental health, I know you mentioned you had had some struggles uh, later on what have your experiences been with it? You can be a bit general at the moment and then we can move on to it later so it's either you or your family, your friends just kind of like how aware of it you've been I think for myself
2: I find it much easier to talk about now um, I had a bad show as Alphabet where I had, I had to come off halfway through a show which is no big deal, that happens in the show all the time but I had a lot of people to see me and my, a lot of my family had come down. It was a planned date and even though I'd been on a lot before and after that date, a lot of people were coming to that one performance and I was really sick and I went on and of course I couldn't get through it and the director came and she was like, I think you need to go off and it, we commonly refer to it amongst my close friends or we did refer to it as Black Monday. Like We didn't speak about it because I was I felt like the worst Singer, performer, actor that ever lived, and that stuck with me for a long time, job after job, and I think eventually that's why I moved away from musicals because it just ate away at me so much that I was like, "You're the worst singer in the room. You will never get through it." And even though I had done just as big as sings after that, it just ate away, and I was I convinced myself that I just purely wanted to do straight acting, and it's taken until last year when I got or a performance coach, someone that I knew. from Scotland got in contact with me and was like I think I can help you mm-hmm. um, and I went and did um, about eight sessions with this lady just unpacking all the, the negative thoughts and energies and around that sort of day and, and how that's impacted my singing going forward and its it's been such an amazing process and I, I actually wish that drama schools had coaches and sort of mental health sort of advisors within their training now because we all go through that at some point and it's knowing the tools to sort of, to fix it. And even the other day I had an audition and I could feel myself going back to that place, you're the worst singer here, you're the worst person here. But then trying to use the tools that this coach had taught me it helped immensely and I mean don't get me wrong I think I could go for many more sessions um, yeah. and, and it's an ongoing thing but it definitely helped but yeah Black Monday now is no longer we don't speak about it like yeah. it, it generally it was like it was a massive black mark in my life that yeah. I was like I don't I, we don't talk about this Yeah. and it was so silly like when I think about it Logically now, it was just a show it was just a show. No one no one died. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. it happens all the time. But it's amazing how your mind talks yourself into
1: it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's kind of, would you say it's kind of like a performance anxiety thing? And like, it's like a, a closing up thing. I know personally, not not to the extent, but like when I was at drama school, dance wasn't really my thing. And if I'd had a really bad experience in a class with a teacher, the next time I was in that class, I would just clam up. And stuff that I've been able to do before, I wouldn't be able to do. And I'd be like, they're judging you, they're judging you, they're judging you. Um, how, how long was it until you went on again for that part? And what did you... How did it feel to go on again? Did you Did you really struggle with that or? Yeah, the first time on after
2: that was a struggle because you you've got the one half of your brain going. Come on, you know you can do this. You know you can sing this. You sing this absolutely wonderfully in your home when there's no one there, mm-hmm. but when the pressure. Uh, when the other side of your brain kicks in and the pressure of seeing 2,000 people and an orchestra looking up at you and obviously that part is so iconic and there's also this weird thing obviously now since the introduction of smartphones you're aware that at every performance particularly in these big machine shows that someone's recording you so, so if you are flat or sharp you are absolutely going to be ripped apart for that and it's That weirdly kept getting into my head, other than my job, which was just to go out and say the words and sing the notes and do to the best of my ability. I was letting all that creep in, which was just so detrimental to me and my performing in that show. So, I mean, it eased off, and some I finally enjoyed, but there was no rhyme or reason to if I enjoyed or not. Yeah. Um, if I enjoyed being on as that role sometimes I would love it and then the next time I'd be like oh it was so awful I was terrible yeah yeah so it was tricky
1: so just finishing up with the whole first job situation obviously as we said you were first cover at Elphaba in Wicked Um, now for a lot of people that is a dream job that is You've reached the top, that's the pinnacle, Alpha Book, Glinda, that kind of thing. Um, how did it feel to go straight into the West End? And did you feel any pressure covering this role? But then also going forward, did you feel any pressure with regards to the jobs that you auditioned for and the jobs that you took?
2: I think um, when you come out of drama school... And if you've been in a supportive environment, they champion you to tell you that's where you're going to go. Like so, a lot of kids have this expectation that if you haven't got your if your first job's not in the West, End you failed. That's not true. It, you, some people, it's just luck. Mm-hmm. And if you're lucky enough that that is your first job, I didn't know any different from down here. So I just thought that's that's how things yeah. were. Everyone was in the West End. That's how yeah. it goes. Um, and with regards to the how big the role was, was it daunting? There's that also when you come out of drama school it's the sort of arrogance of youth I call it back then I was like I can sing anything I can do anything which now retrospectively of course is not true and I guess having Black Monday was a massive sort of smack in the face to say no you can't Um so I, I guess I came in there sort of ah oh, I'll be able to sing there's no problem yeah. of, of course I couldn't I hadn't had the stamina I wasn't singing it eight times a week you'd be thrown on or you'd do three shows here or you'd do two shows yeah. there but I didn't have that stamina or the, the self-awareness that I have now mm-hmm. um, and going forward um it was hard, I, I, I grew as an actor I, I, I became much more confident with text I, 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 and to this day I don't feel nervous if you ever give me a text, yeah. I will always say the acting is, is my strength more than the singing um, and with Nancy because I went straight to mm-hmm. Oliver and to um, Uh, first cover Nancy and I was on again a lot that felt just much more like an acting role and I didn't really need to worry about my singing so as much but it was always still there it always nags at you and you think am I going to get through it am I going to do it are people recording me are people going to criticise me like I remember once in Wicked getting a tweet Because I was on, and this really aggressive tweet saying, you better be good, I'm coming all the way from wherever. And I shut down my Twitter account, because I was was so horrified, and I was like, because at first you're annoyed, you're like, how dare you? Like, you're paying to see this show. And this is what I think about understudies and shows, that no no person is bigger than the show, or the show should never be billed about a person. Mm -hmm. The show is the product, and no person is bigger than the show. So and I think when we start to do that then we lose it and then you give the understudies a really hard rap mm-hmm. when the star has gone off they're, they're just people learning their craft and and have earned the right of our understudy and right at a shot at it so when you say to people or oh, oh, boo or which I've seen in shows and I've heard when I was in Jekyll and Hyde the understudy from Motipela went on and actively people booed and it was like the poor guy who stood behind the curtain and you're like, this is just disgraceful. Yeah. Like, and I, I was so angry. I think I gave the most angry performance of my life <laughs> for that show. Yeah. Just a pure, an, yeah, just an absolute face on the whole time. Yeah. But I was like, it just shouldn't be about that. And that's it's not why we're, we're doing it. We're just, we're just there to tell a story at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah, completely. We're not not doctors saving lives. (laughs)
1: No, no. I think that there has been a little bit of a shift recently. I think, obviously, with some shows, when people are are billed, people do get quite angry, but I think it's usually people who aren't necessarily, like, involved in the industry and they don't really understand it. Um, But I think with with shows like... um, Six and Aunt Juliet they're really really good at like celebrating their understudies like in Six they all have different costumes and like people want to come and see the different combinations of people and I think that hopefully there's a start like of a shift and that everyone's kind of everyone's worthy of doing their role and it's, it's it's no one's business why someone's there or not it's like have you never taken a day off work have you never taken holiday like you can't be expected to be there eight shows a week Three hundred and sixty-four days a year—it's just not going to happen, is it's it? It's not possible, and I think,
2: yeah, I definitely think that there is the tide is starting to change. But I think that comes from the shows themselves. Yeah. They promote that, and it's top down because mm-hmm. I think if you have a company that don't like you, I've seen so many times performers who's who've said on Twitter, "I'm not allowed to say when I'm on." That's ridiculous. We should promote these people. Like I was just at Come From Away the other night, and there was an understudy on, and and they they have a whole Twitter page all about supporting their understudy and apparently there was it was at the awards the other night the Watson Stage Awards and okay. the producer thanked the understudies I was like when has that ever been yeah. done that's mm-hmm. amazing like now it's that they're starting to recognise the talent because actually without your understudies your swings the shows would all ground to a halt exactly. they are just as important
1: yeah. as the principals 100% yeah so people we've talked about this quite a lot yeah, on the podcast but people often wrongly assume that when you're in the West End um, everything should be just amazing because you've got the dream job and you've been in multiple plays and uh, shows in town has the West End been overall like a, a positive or has there been any negative experiences with it that you'd be okay to talk about? Um, On the whole I think it's been
2: fairly positive to be honest I think um, I've worked I've been lucky enough to work with good producers who value you um, and you are allowed to say if you're going on mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, I think there's obviously there's been, I've had a few moments with perhaps other actors where I'm like, now in retrospect I don't care to work with you again because yeah. I feel we are not the same sort of people and we don't have the same sort of morals or ethics. Mm-hmm. So it's mainly probably been on a personal level more than than an actual working level. I've always been, I think, yeah. I have to say, been treated fairly well in mm-hmm. um, my career. I've been lucky that way. Yeah, that's
1: really good. That's good. So you are married you. and you have a lovely little five-year-old daughter. Um, we have had a few parents on the podcast to just kind of discuss their experiences going through the industry as a parent. How has being a parent affected your mental health?
2: It's hard. It's really hard as an actor. Um, And it started before... I even had be the anxiety set in about work and when I would go back to work, um, what work would I take? Because um, you obviously can't go on tour or, uh, no, you can't go, actually that's not true, you can go on tour but I didn't want to go on tour mm-hmm. and my husband's a musician so we both are freelancers so it was really tricky. Mm-hmm. Um And it was really hard. And once Ruby was about four or five months, I started properly auditioning again. But if I'm being honest, I was not auditioning well. I was not in the right mindset to go auditioning. Um, And I started auditioning for some musicals then, which didn't help with the sort of Black Monday sort of anxieties that I had, and then just going in and not singing well, being really beige, not representing yourself. Mm. And that, it was really tough. And I think it took me... Again, that's when I was like, no, fine, I don't want to do musicals. I'm clearly just an actress, I should just go do plays. And, and then went and did some plays, and I started to get my confidence back. But, but it, was a hard, it was a hard, it was a knock. And it's funny, all my other friends now who've had kids, you see it. I see it happening, happening to them in the same way that it happened to me. The constant doubt, the constant guilt that you feel if you get a job and you leave your, your daughter for what like if you go away and you're filming or you're, you go and do a, a short run of something you feel guilty mm-hmm. you feel guilty leaving them with someone else yeah. and that's hard to reconcile but eventually someone gave me some really good advice and it was what, what was it happy wife happy life um, it's probably more for my husband to be fair um, but um, yeah if you're happy and you need to go out and work and that makes you happy then your baby by
0: default will be happy
1: yes. Yeah, yeah. Like that podcast, Happy Mum, Happy Baby or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's
0: really sweet. Hi, everyone. Owen Woodgate here from Tax for Actors. As promised, we have a very exclusive offer for Industry Minds listeners. For those of you who don't know who we are, we are an accountancy firm specialising in, yep, actors and others within the creative industries. So for Industry Minds listeners, we're offering 20% off our standard fees for self-assessment. Drop me an email, owen at taxforactors.com. Contact us via our website, taxforactors.com, or via Twitter or via Instagram. When getting in contact, make sure to mention Industry Minds and you'll benefit from 20% of our price for this year. Enjoy the rest of the show.
1: I think there's still a stigma surrounding women taking time off work to have a baby um, in all the industries, but I think especially in acting it's particularly difficult because you kind of are a bit constrained by time and then there's roles that you might have wanted to kind of go for and I think that it, people aren't very um, at the moment people aren't very broad with um, where they can place people it's like, you're this age, you can play this part you're this age, you can play this part I hope that that's changing and I think we are starting to see it change Um. Did you experience you've said that you found it a bit of going back to it but um did you experience any kind of stigma with going back to work when you when you had ruby
2: that was probably more from people who weren't in the industry right. that so for instance my mother-in-law was kind of like oh you're not you're not just going to stay off and look after ruby and have more children and i was kind of like no that's not my gig my i want to work i function best mm-hmm. when i'm busy and i'm creative that's when i'm at my best mm-hmm. so it was mainly from from family that i feel in truth that that stigma came in terms of the industry I think I do wonder I didn't offer the information up that I was a mum in the audition rooms because yeah. I, I didn't feel confident that people wouldn't go she's going to be a nightmare because she's got to be off and I need someone who's here yeah. um, for the eight shows a week which of, of course as a mum doesn't just because you're a mum doesn't mean that you don't want to be there eight times a week but sometimes you just can't um, and more shows are getting better like job shares are happening which is amazing yeah and I wish we would see that more. Um, I don't know if I'm being honest. How brave I would be even at this stage now, to say, can I have a job share? I d I don't know if I'd be that brave yet to yeah. offer that to to put that on the table.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Because I don't know how people would still react. I think there's I think still people would be like, oh, she's a pain. She's too much mm-hmm. trouble. I'll take this actor who's not um who's not got child and responsibilities.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, which isn't good, because you're not allowed to discriminate on, uh, against people on the basis that they're pregnant, so no. you shouldn't be allowed to discriminate against people on the basis that they have a child. Um, and I guess also that you with the job shares that we're hearing about, they're only women, we're not hearing about um, guys taking mm. taking the share of it, if they're dads, we're not hearing about them taking the share of it. Um, what do you think can be done, uh, or like a couple of things you think can be done as an industry to help to help parents like what would make it more normal to ask for job shares um, and to ask for better working hours even if that's possible i think i think it's just
2: uh, um open channels with the producers where you feel that you're not going to sort of be have a black mark against your name and be mm-hmm. and be perceived as difficult for asking the question i think sometimes in this industry you people cast aspersions for asking a question and I, I don't understand that because you wouldn't have that in any other industry um, I think thankfully there are groups like Pippa Uh, uh, parents in the performing arts who are fantastic and things like if they could have which I know some institutions are trying I know people at the National are trying like to have creche Mm. facilities that would be amazing Like you could come to work, you could drop your kid off and then you pick your kid up at the end of the rehearsal day oh my god that would be amazing and it also gives you that window of time to to find childcare that's really hard to find in London A, to just actually find physically someone who can do it and be someone that you trust leaving your most precious possession with or your being this little entity that you've created you're not just going to leave it with someone who you've just met on a website or I certainly, when I couldn't feel comfortable with that at all yeah um so I think crashes, things like that or even just in the auditions if they have um sort of areas where you could bring your kid even commercial auditions I get a lot of commercials get auditions and I constantly phone them and I'm like is it okay if I bring Ruby along? She'll just be sat with her iPad yeah. It's almost like you're apologising before, you, before you've even got the answer and the in fact 100% of the time for the commercials they're like of course just bring her we'll, there'll be someone that can sit with her if, yeah. if she needs say anything you're going to be in and out in 10-15 minutes it's fine, but I wish perhaps for theatre there were, there was that environment where you could say I need to bring my daughter, and it's it's just assumed that it's okay. It's not yeah. a thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be okay no. at all. So, what might seem a bit of an odd question, um, how has being a mum changed you as an actor?
2: It actually has changed me tremendously, and I was just talking about this with a friend the other day that I. Try not to get into my head about it quite as much um, I, if I'm sent material I learn the material, I do it to the best of my ability I go in, I do it I either do it well or there's days I'm having an off day, but I don't come out and beat myself around the head about it or I'm trying to be better at that in light of the coaching that I did with the performance coach. Because at the end of the day, I've still got to go home and pick up all the broccoli that's on the floor. I still need to tidy up a room. I've still got to do the bath. Mm -hmm. I've still got to do the run into tennis club. Um, And actually, that's more important for me. Mm -hmm. Whilst I love my job as an actor, that's a small part of me. Mm -hmm. Whereas my child... I'm responsible for this being and I want to give him the best crack at life as I can and I think weighing myself down with unnecessary worries about things, is just not helpful for anyone and I did that for so long I would come out and I would over analyse everything why did you say that, why did you go shake their hand, don't shake their hand, people don't like you to shake their hands, why did you look him in the eye when you were saying that, he was looking at his computer did it? You, oh you just get, it's it's mental it's mad It's absolutely crazy, and it it just doesn't help. So I think now, because I have other responsibilities, I try not to sweat the small stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the parents that we've had on have said that, is that it kind of just puts everything into perspective, Mm -hmm. Um, and you start to realise what's the most important thing about your life. And although career is obviously massively important, um, your happiness and your family's happiness um, is also super important too. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we've started talking about mental health more within the industry and within just general society, how comfortable would you feel talking uh, about mental health to your daughter?
2: Uh, To me, it would be really important. Um, I very sadly had a friend who took his own life um, a few years ago, and I hadn't seen this friend for a number of years, but we spent a lot of time together when I was at university. We went out and gigged, and we would do all the pubs and clubs in the northeast. And so I hold that time in such high regard. And then, well, obviously was in contact with him, and then found out that he'd taken his life. And I was, I I didn't have any idea that these mental health issues were happening. And so I feel it's really important, and to talk to her about that and say it's okay not to feel okay tell me if you feel sad and I kind of, we kind of do if I'm being honest we've, yeah. we've kind of, we're, we're a family of talkers mm-hmm. um, I, I also get the odd sort of book that I can put in front of her about, about issues like that about issues about sexuality yeah. how everyone, love is love in our house mm-hmm. um, and we do not think any differently yeah. just issues like that 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 she can, that she will come across as a young person and mm-hmm. in school. So I, I think it's majorly important to yeah. to bring that up with her so that she understands it and feels that it's that she has an open channel to talk to us about it. Because mm-hmm. I would be horrified if my own daughter couldn't come to me about something that she was worried about. Yeah. How no matter how trivial she thought it was, or anyone else thought it was. I I need her to know that it's safe to come to me and her yeah, dad to absolutely. talk about it. Yeah,
1: that's really good. So you've already said that um, the industry is now like a small, a very important but small part of your life because you have your family. What um, are your passions outside the industry that you enjoy? Um, that's one of those hard
2: questions because you're you always trying to think. Don't sound beige. Don't sound beige. <laughs> um. I just, I just love being around my friends and my family mm-hmm. I love music, my husband's a musician I love music, music is in our house all the time yeah. like music is on morning, noon and night we're not really a TV house at all certainly we're not when Ruby's there because whenever we put a screen on she just like sits in front of it, we'd sit in front of it for hours so we have music on all the time music is a massive passion going out, going to see stuff, going to theatre going to concerts Um with family and friends going to the theatre I think I've got to that age as well where now I can in truth go and watch a performance and not be like well why was I not seen for that I could do that why is she doing that why am I not doing that that doesn't now cross my mind at all I love now just going to the theatre and watching something going they were brilliant that was brilliant and finding the positives in it as opposed to when I was younger and probably more arrogant and going oh that should be me no, no, it's not that at all. No, it's yeah. just like, no, it's admi- ad- adoration or admiration of these people going, wow, that was, takes, takes balls to go up there and, yeah. and do that and kudos to them.
1: So we're sitting here in 2020 um, with you being 11 years into your career down in London and you're still working and you're auditioning and you have a family. If you could give your mid-20s self any advice, what would it be? <laughs> um,
2: so my advice would be if you're at drama school learn to dance Sabrina because that will help you tremendously uh, keep up with the piano because I feel that actually nowadays the kids coming out of drama schools they're not just triple threats, they're quadruple threats. They can play instruments as well. I mean, so if you put a quadruple threat next to someone like me who can act and sing and dance a wee bit, who are you going to take? You're going to take that person. Um, so keep up the piano, keep up the dance. Try not to sweat the small stuff so early on because it just it's just a waste of energy, a waste of time. Um, and maybe, actually, in truth, for myself, not for anyone else, I would have said, go the route like my husband did. He he got a degree in physics before he was a musician. Um, he'd always played the drums all through his youth, but he studied as a, they call it in my house a proper degree, um, and so he's always something to fall back on if some if this path didn't work out for him. Um, I feel for myself I don't know what I would do and I, it's often crossed my mind in those darker times when I'm like I don't know if I want to do this anymore if I don't know if I'm strong enough to do this anymore I don't know if I can be bothered fighting anymore for my place here what is my place yeah. um, would have been maybe to go and because I, I did toy with going to study law for quite a while um, when I was at university before like my first sort of academic yeah. acting drama degree And I kind of wish for myself I had gone and done that, Mm -hmm. and then took taken to performing after it because then I would have I would have always had something to fall back on. I feel like Mm -hmm. I don't really know what I would do now.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And that time might never come when I decide that I want to give up, but it might. I might just Mm -hmm. the end of the road might be in sight and go. Just don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Um, so I wish I had. I wish I had gone to study something. Cause I'm not. Cause most people probably would say, then go be a teacher. I don't think I have the skill set to be a teacher. I wouldn't be a good, a good educator. <laughs> I'm not that person.
1: I totally get you. I am. I'm quite impatient sometimes. <laughs> like it's okay sometimes, and then some days I'm like, nope, nope. I have no time for this today. So I have a lot of respect for people who teach. Scarlet teaches a lot, and she is like. Patience have a saint with that kind of thing um, so just before we get on to our final question what do you do to look after your mental health? Um,
2: well last, up until last year nothing if I'm being honest I just dealt with it myself I would speak to my husband about it I would speak to my mum about it but of course that's always a slightly biased sort of you always get a biased answer. No, you're great, come on, keep going, you can do it. Oh, they just, they don't know what they've missed if you didn't get a job, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Um, But up until I I spoke to the performance coach, I was really not doing a lot to help myself. And now having spoken to her and worked through through some things with her, I now have tools to go forward for myself that I can use. And I will probably go back to her and just start in her words unpacking just other little niggles that I have mm. I mean I don't think I'll ever fully be that person that walks into an audition like I am fantastic mm. I, I, it's just not my makeup and it's not where I come from or my family's makeup either We, it's that sort of self-deprecating Scottish thing that we have all yeah. the time no you're better no you're better and it's always we're never that person like Ameri- you know the Americans are very confident hi nice to meet you this is my job sort yeah. of thing and you're, I just don't have that mm. um so I think, yeah, that's that's been the only thing I've kind of started to do. I actually, at one point, I started writing all my negative thoughts down in a book. This was quite helpful for me, that someone said, get a book, a scrap paper book, and just write when you're feeling at your lowest, just write all the most hateful things that you think about yourself or that you're feeling. Um, and it can be the most hateful, awful things because no one's ever going to read this and you don't ever read it once you're finished with the page you fold the page over and the next time you come to use that book you start on a fresh page you don't ever read it again mm-hmm. but it's just to expel that sort of negativity and that actually did help yeah. and I and I found the book um, not so long ago and I thought do I dare read it and I didn't mm-hmm. and I thought actually it was the right choice don't yeah. read it don't let that back in and I just threw it away mm-hmm. And it it was it was helpful. So yeah. it can it can help Amazing. if you if you if there's people out there who don't have anyone to talk to. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Or you or you feel shameful, or you feel embarrassed about what you want to talk about. Because some things they are you are embarrassed about. Um, how you carried conducted yourself in an audition, mm. or how if you did something wrong, or you got upset in the audition. That that can be quite shameful, and you're like, oh god, they're going to think. Mm. Do you know I'm I'm a nightmare no it's
1: not it's it's all valid in that scenario yeah absolutely that sounds good that sounds good so our final question which we ask everyone is could you walk into a room today and say I'm having a bad mental health day
2: I don't know you know if I would be brave enough to do it I think I would be I would now recognise it much quicker I would maybe say it with people I trust family um, but I certainly don't know if it was in people that I knew and someone just went, hi, how are you? I don't know if I would open with, ah, actually I'm not so good today yeah. which is stupid because what there's no shame in it, no. but yet weirdly I, I, would, yeah. I would feel funny saying it if I'm being honest mm-hmm. I would, and particularly in a work environment mm-hmm. I would feel I I would be I would have some sort of cross against my name, yeah. she's going to be tricky to work with, which is ridiculous, we all have off days mm-hmm. we just don't speak about it and if anything that's what I learned from my friend Stephen's suicide is that he was struggling every day and every day on Facebook and social media it presented this wonderful life, he'd just got engaged but he was struggling so badly and he couldn't even tell his closest friends his fiance did didn't even know half the stuff that he was going through yeah. until well after his death and that, that's so sad to me yeah. So I don't know I don't know if I would be brave enough still where we are in twenty twenty. Maybe ask me in another couple of years when the stigma hopefully has just shifted. But I don't I don't know if I would
1: be. Yeah. It's everyone has a different answer to that question. It's just just where you are. Um Serena, thank you so much. It's been so great to chat to you. You can't go just yet because we've got a finish the sentence game to do. I feel like this is less pressure than the word association game because you can think about it a little bit. So some of them are very easy. My favourite colour is red, green, pink and purple. All of them. Um, The best season is autumn. If I was stranded on a desert island the one item I would bring would be Wonky's sauce,
2: which is a sauce from a Chinese restaurant in Chinatown. It's the best. It will make anything
1: taste fantastic. Um, Today I woke up and thought
2: I have to deal with this today. A book I'd recommend to everyone is the Andre Agassi tennis book. It's absolutely amazing. I have no interest in tennis whatsoever and it's all about how, how as a a sports person, he hates tennis he hated playing tennis as a child and happened to be just one of the world's biggest tennis stars and best tennis stars it is the most fascinating read ever, get it it's wonderful.
1: Can you imagine being like incredible at something and being absolutely livid about it I feel like I don't want to do this but I'm great so I'm gonna <laughs> um, my favourite job has been oh, am I only allowed to choose one? You can choose two
2: my favourite play I ever did was The 39 Steps
1: mm-hmm.
2: just the gift of a play and my favourite musical was Oliver
1: yeah. Lovely um, My dead or alive party guest is Eva Peron. Ooh. Good shout, good shout and finally in the future I want to be healthy uh, happy and
2: just successful at whatever I'm doing
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Industry Minds. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can reach us on our email, which is info at industryminds.co.uk. For all counselling inquiries, please email mary at industryminds.co.uk. You can find us on social media. Our Twitter and Instagram handles are at industrymindsuk. you can keep up to date with all our latest announcements thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week